Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love. Love at first listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people... It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. KFI AM640. You're listening to the John and Ken Show on demand on the iHeartRadio app. I'm here uh, for a couple of days doing the work of two people getting paid for one. And that just doesn't seem right to me, but that's the that's the deal I agreed to. So here we are. Lots to talk about today. We'll give you a chance to win some money later on, as we always do. Uh, later on this hour, what if we had an election? And nobody voted. Remember that? What if they had a war and nobody fought? Well, what if we had an election and nobody voted? Well, L.A. is in the process of doing exactly that. We've got an update on the LAPD email homeless scandal. Steve Gregory will be with us. Uh, but a big, big story in the news has broken. Actually, before I get to that, real quick, because this is breaking as we speak, a jury has acquitted that deputy down in Florida who failed to confront the Parkland gunman. His name is also Scott Peterson, not the uh, manure salesman, the fertilizer salesman from years ago up in the Bay Area. This is the uh, Broward County Sheriff's deputy who did not go into Parkland when all those poor kids were gunned down. And uh, I'm sure the fact that he was acquitted is good news for all the Evaldi uh, police officers who did exactly the same, maybe even worse. So uh, we'll follow up on that. Of course, the news department is on that story. But what broke earlier today is a landmark and extraordinarily important Supreme Court decision. The Supreme Court 
went negative on affirmative action. And to talk to us about the who, what, when, where, why, and how of this is the best in the business legal analyst, Royal Oaks. Royal, how are you? I'm doing great, Doug. And before we talk affirmative action, I got to say, if you're serious about this business, of you know, you should be paid for two people. I could represent you in a lawsuit and we can make it a class action because you're a classy guy. Oh, look at you. That's good. That's why you're the best in the business. You, you start, come right out of the box, kissing up, kissing ass of the host. That's very smart policy. <laughs> well, this affirmative action decision, Doug, was, I think it was pretty much expected because during the uh, oral argument a months ago, wow, Chief Justice Roberts and several of the other conservatives just blasted away at the advocates for affirmative action. And this uh, opinion is consistent with that. Basically, it says it is illegal under the 14th Amendment, which says you got to have equal protection of the law. And racial discrimination is a violation of that. And for years, yeah, the courts have looked the other way and said, well, no quotas. But as long as it's just one factor, uh, diversity is really important. This court is saying, no, diversity is not important enough to justify racial discrimination. Now, this suit uh, originated uh, uh, because of Harvard University and UNC, North Carolina, and it was brought by some Asian-American students. And this the Supreme Court actually refused to hear a case not that long ago when it was brought by a white uh, student. But the, uh, the, the, the premise seems to be that the Asian students were making an argument that they are being discriminated against because the colleges and universities are, are, are creating uh, paths for particularly African-American and Hispanic students at the expense of uh, qualified Asian students. Exactly right. And there were some dramatic examples of the reduction in uh, Asian student body members in various schools, especially elite schools. And, you know, they, the student organization, as you say, was allowed to sue. And, and they make an analogy. They said back in the 20s, when the law firms and schools didn't want Jews, uh, they said, well, we're not just going to look at grades. We're going to look at, you know, the whole uh, character angle. And that was criticized then, and now the same rationale is used to, to criticize this. But, man, Doug, this was an emotional uh, decision that came out. As, as you know from seeing the, the wire reports here, two of the justices actually read their opinions aloud, or at least summaries, Clarence Thomas and Sonia Sotomayor. And uh, Sotomayor, she said that, yeah, the opinion says that maybe it'll be okay uh, to consider an applicant's discussion of how race affected the applicant's life. But then she labeled that like putting lipstick on a pig. So this is the high emotion there in the high court. Uh, we're talking with uh, legal analyst Royal Oaks. Royal, the, um, the fact that uh, 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 Sotomayor and uh, Elena Kagan and uh, Clarence Thomas in particular, I mean, they went to the same, they both went to Yale University at the, around the same time. And they had very, very different responses to affirmative action programs. And, and Clarence Thomas actually wrote about this in his uh, memoir that came out about 10, 12 years ago uh, and makes no secret of the fact that he's always been hostile to this. He thinks it hurts minorities, specifically African-Americans, that people look askance at people get into medical schools with affirmative action programs. So there was no way in the world that this case was ever going to be anything but enormously emotional. And of course, we're seeing it. And it brings up the issue of settled law in America. We saw this with the Roe Ro v. Wade decision being overturned by the same conservative court, that what we have called settled law is only settled until another court unsettles it. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it goes way back to the Brown versus Board of Education decision. As you suggest, for centuries, 
the idea of overturning a big, important decision, it's, it's a real hill to climb. But, you know, just as Plessy versus Ferguson in the 1800s said, well, separate but equal is OK. Brown versus Board of Education said, forget that. We're totally tossing that precedent. And they ended school desegregation in the last few decades. That wall has been coming down. So now we see Roe versus Wade gone. And in this case, for example, Doug, there wasn't much discussion about how it's really, really hard to overturn past approval of affirmative action in, in schools. Instead, the court just came out and said, you know, we've looked at it and we just don't think it's right. As Chief Justice Roberts for years has been saying, the way to solve racial discrimination is not to racially discriminate. And he assigned the opinion to himself. And so he was speaking for the six member majority. Real quick, Royal, how does this impact historically black colleges like uh, Grambling or uh, Howard University, et cetera? Well, there shouldn't be any impact in the sense that uh, they still will be allowed to make decisions uh, based on how race affected an applicant's life. And similarly, you know, people are wondering, gee, is this going to mean no diversity rules in hiring? Not for now. In the future, this same court might take it up. But as for now, the EEOC and other federal agencies say, yeah, we don't like racial discrimination, but diversity is so important in hiring. It's OK. It's not illegal to do that. All right, Royal, we'll have much more to say on this. Thanks for being with us. Always appreciate it. Uh, folks, stay with us. We're going to talk about what this means for America, including the political uh, repercussions coming up. We'll also give you a chance to win some money later on the LAPD emails. And don't forget, you can always listen to KFI 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. I'm McIntyre in for John and Ken. This is KFI More Stimulating Talk Radio. You're listening to John and Ken On Demand from KFI AM 640. All right, let's get back. Uh, we talked with Royal Oaks with sort of the who, what, when, where, why, and how of the Supreme Court decision going negative on affirmative action. Affirmative action has been the law of the land for about 40 years. And um, it has always been criticized by its opponents as the sort of uh, racial uh, justice equivalent of a, of a famous phrase from the Vietnam War era. There was an apocryphal story. I don't know that it actually anybody actually said this, but allegedly, purportedly, there was a soldier after a uh, Vietnamese village had been, uh, had been torched, burned to the ground, allegedly said, in order to save the village, we had to destroy the village. And opponents of affirmative action have always argued that in order to end racial discrimination, we are practicing racial discrimination because, you know, when you get to the bottom line, if you are saying that we are going to give preferential treatment to one special class of people because of previous discrimination, because there's a limited number of seats in colleges and universities, inevitably what happens is those seats now get filled are not filled by somebody who would have qualified under different circumstances. And this suit was brought by a group of Asian student, Asian American students whose grades were higher, et cetera, et cetera. They made the case that they did not get into uh, colleges and universities because of the policies that were discriminatory under the uh, 14th Amendment, the Equal Protection Clause. And the uh, conservative majority on the court agreed. And this isn't much of a surprise. It was a 6-3 decision, by the way. And this is not much of a surprise. John Roberts has basically been advocating for this for years. Clarence Thomas has written about it. There's, there's been no secret which way the court was uh, headed on this. Now, it's an enormously emotional uh, decision. It, it, it goes right to the original sin of America. There's two original sins that this great country was founded on. 
One was chattel slavery, and the other was the removal of the indigenous people, the First Nations, the Native Americans. Those two are festering wounds, and there's no way to ever undo them. They're part of the American story. Affirmative action was intended to try to redress some of the wrongs that historically blacks as Jews previously had been uh, essentially barred from prestigious universities, and they created many of their own, Brandeis University, et cetera, et cetera. Well, African-Americans ultimately did the same thing with Grambling, with Howard University and other predominantly black universities because they weren't allowed into white universities. But you'd have to be really naive not to understand that if you can get into Harvard, you can get into the really top schools, there's a whole uh, world that opens up to you of opportunity just by being in that social orbit, by having that brand attached to your resume when you go into the marketplace. And that was denied for most of our history to people of color. So affirmative action uh, may have been practicing racism in a literal sense, but it was for a higher purpose to address an historic wrong. The question has been, is it time to end it? Have we reached a point of equality where people are judged on the quality uh, well, the content of their character, not the color of their skin, to quote Martin Luther King? You know, the way uh, symphony orchestras frequently will audition musicians behind a screen so that you're in silhouette like the witness protection program, one of those people with the garble voice that they put on 60 minutes so they don't get whacked by Putin uh, or somebody else. Uh, and they would audition as violinist or an oboe player would audition behind a screen. And that way you didn't know male, female, you didn't know uh, what race, you just heard the notes. Well, if only we were that colorblind and that uh, open-minded to just base people on the uh, what they bring to the table. But colleges, as everybody knows, anybody who's been to college knows that there's legacy picks. There's, if, if dad's name is on a building, there's a pretty good chance they're going to let you in. Uh, if, if the check is big enough, they're going to let you in. So there's all kinds of wild cards that can go into why somebody gets picked and why somebody doesn't get picked as a, a member of a freshman class going into a prestigious university or a law school or medical school. So now the question is, what does this mean going forward? It's hard to imagine, given how, uh, how liberal-leaning, woke, if you will, modern American colleges and universities are, it's hard to imagine that they're going to uh, all of a sudden, you know, become exclusive of people of color. Uh, now, are there safeguards? The affirmative action programs codified by law made sure that if a person of color from a, a predominantly or historically discriminated against group did not enter a university with qualifications, then there was redress because the law said that they created a path for people to have this opportunity. Uh, with that removed now, it probably opens up a whole new spectrum of legal challenges over who gets in and who doesn't get in. I mean, we saw when we went through, uh, uh, you know, the whole uh, USC cheating scandal with, uh, you know, kids, mom and dad buying their way into USC with phony athletic scholarships, et cetera, et cetera. We've seen all kinds of backroom uh, methods of people getting their kids, including unqualified kids, into prominent universities. And, uh, and you know, going to college has become something of a, particularly a middle-class fetish where you see parents 
uh, put so much pressure on their kids that if they don't get into the right school, somehow their life is ruined. And I'd like to point out it's not because there's plenty of fools who have gone to college. College is a wonderful thing. University is a wonderful thing. For people coming from poor communities, historically discriminated against communities, college is a path out that can lift an entire family. Uh, for many, many people in modern America, people have been going to college in great numbers since the 60s, essentially, since the 1960s. So for 40, 50 years now, uh, a lot of families have second, even third generation college students. My brother and I and my sister, we were the first in our family to go to college, but we're older. So that explains that. But younger people, it's not uncommon for them to go to colleges, whether they start in community colleges to save some dough and then move on and transfer to more prestigious or more prominent four-year schools, etc., is neither here nor there. But for millions and millions of Americans, this was unthinkable. So uh, affirmative action was a way of redressing that. A case can be made and was made that in doing so, we are now discriminating against other groups of people who are qualified to be in school. So the Supreme Court has made the decision. The fallout is going to be political. We saw the fallout in the midterm elections over Roe v. Wade. When the Supreme Court undid that settled law, uh, 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 with elections having consequences with a very conservative Supreme Court majority, uh, it cost the Republicans in the midterm elections. We will see shortly in 2024 how this decision impacts the presidential election. Uh, Joe Biden, of course, President Biden came down, condemned it. Republicans are praising it. And it's ultimately going to get settled at the ballot box in the next election cycle. It's 127. Let's get some news. McIntyre in for John and Ken. This is KFI live everywhere on the iHeart Radio app. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm gonna talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic, and then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. 
Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of us. We're figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it would have been been juicy. It would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Michael Rappaport, and my wife, Kibi Rappaport, starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to John and Ken On Demand from KFI AM 640. Next hour, we're going to get into this uh, latest LAPD scandal, these emails that were found over these homeless encampments. Uh, Steve Gregory will also be in here to talk to us about that. And uh, we got lots of stuff to talk about, including dumb deaths. So there's lots of things to talk about uh, this morning. And the first thing we want to talk about is this uh, email scandal going on. Uh, So there was a homeless encampment that was supposed to be busted up. uh, And it was supposed to be taken out in Shadow Ranch Park. It was supposed to be taken out Thursday, as in today. And that went sideways because this email from a uh, an LAPD uh, officer uh, was found out by a critic of the LAPD at Film the Police LA Twitter account. And it said, everyone will be arrested and their belongings will be taken away by sanitation, according to the email. As always, do not approach these individuals experiencing homelessness. The email from the senior lead officer said, I want to make sure all are there at the encampment on the 29th so I can arrest them. This is a hush-hush task force. Well, then, of course, uh, everybody, uh, you know, started clutching their pearls when this went public. LAPD Chief Michael Moore said it's highly appropriate. LA Mayor Karen Bass says, I was horrified by the email to talk to us about this and get into all the nitty-gritty. Let's welcome aboard KFI's uh, Steve Gregory. Steve. Doug, great to see you, man. It's been a long time. It, it, It has, but I feel like... I was uh, trapped in a tomb or something like that and then suddenly came back from the dead because I'm reading all these people I worked with, Ray Lopez, and all these people I worked with years ago in radio, and somehow they're still employed and I'm not. Oh, yeah, well, isn't that the way? It's kind of like a wildfire. The house next to you will burn to the ground and yours completely goes unscathed. Same kind of thing. So what about this? You know, here's the takeaway. Obviously, anytime you're an LAPD officer and you're sending out secret emails and saying, hey, this is hush-hush, you know that you're not supposed to be doing that. But uh, all of us have wrestled with this homeless issue for how many years now? It just gets worse and worse and worse. And it really does seem like society is paralyzed to actually do anything about the problem. You know, first of all, I don't know that it was a secret email. And it's been characterized as a secret email. The email went to members of the public and business owners in the Topanga Division area. And these business owners... Um, whom some are now nicknaming them, you know, people experiencing homelessness is that's what the LAPD refers to the homeless. And some people are talking about business owners experiencing frustration, the BEFs. Um, So you've got these business owners and these members of the public that are frustrated. This Brittany Gutierrez is a brand new senior lead officer. She's only been an SLO or a SLO for short, uh, a very short time over in that division. And the email she sent out was in response to uh, the feedback she was getting from the business owners and the residents, mostly residents, uh, of their frustration of these encampments, and they continue to stay there. I think the issue is here in talking to people in the department, 
so much wasn't that the email went out. It was the tenor of the language. I mean, it was really, you know, the style of the language and the, and, you know, I'm going to arrest them. If, if everything in that email that was posted online, let's be very clear here. The LAPD has not verified that what you see on social media was indeed what she wrote. Um, we're not getting the actual email from anybody yet. It's only been posted on one social media account that I can tell. And that's a, a social media account that's highly critical of the LAPD. Exactly. Now, and, and one of the provocative phrases is, this is a hush-hush task force. Right. And there's no su such thing as a hush-hush task force in the LAPD when it comes to the homeless issues. It's the cleanup operations have been going on for a long time. And the LAPD does not clean up homeless camps. That's not their job. Their job is to stand by and offer security for the L.A. Department of Sanitation, who does the cleanup effort. And also provide security for the homeless outreach groups that show up, whether they're the, the NGOs or whether they're part of the LAPD's MEU. Whatever the case is, the LAPD does not execute cleanup. Yeah, now, well, this is what may we may be getting into language again here because the term cleanup could not be uh, taken, is not necessarily literal in the sense that they're out there with brooms and hoses, but cleaning up, meaning we're removing the people. The tents, the, the, you know, the, the debris, the tents, the buildup, the, you know, all of the hoarding, that is a big part of it because it's also a, a health issue. I mean, there's a lot of times where you've got outbreaks of different disease and, and animals and vermin and all that are gathering in these spots because a lot of food is there, a lot, you know, the heat and, and all that too. And then on top of that, you've got the care and well-being of the homeless individual. So their charge is to go in and say, listen, we've got to find you alternate space because this isn't working out. Well, this has always been the problem. We'll talk with Steve Gregory, of course, KFI's uh, Steve Gregory. And going back to when Jan Perry was on the L.A. City Council, and she pushed a, a bill through the uh, City Council that essentially, it was probably a resolution, that decriminalized sleeping on the sidewalks right. with the famous... Uh, aphorism that it's not a crime to be poor. Right. And it's not. But it is a crime to be pooping on the streets. It is a crime to be setting fires in doorways. It is a crime to be uh, squatting and, and to using public streets as a toilet and creating a public health hazard. And this has always been the problem that we've had. On the one hand, you have a legitimate concern for the well-being of people who are broken, broken souls who either because of family connections have broken or drug or alcohol abuse or mental issues that have literally ended up on the sidewalks of one of America's largest cities in great numbers. And we're going to get later on uh, today, we're going to get the new census on homeless numbers, and we'll go over that uh, in the third hour. But uh, so that you got that issue, which is a legitimate issue, and many people are very concerned about that and struggle with dealing with those intractable problems. And then you have the legitimate concerns of residents and neighbors and pedestrians and business owners who have to navigate and try to deal with all the pressures of modern society while running a sort of, you know, uh, really a field of, of zombie-like despair. Uh, and it's embarrassing. I mean, you drive around the city of Los Angeles and 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 many cities. This isn't just an L.A. problem, obviously. But this is what we're trying to somehow negotiate. And the cops find themselves as the point people almost all the time. Right. And, and they're expected to be part counselor, part psychiatrist, part medical doctor, uh, part cop. Uh, they're expected now. The pressures that are on law enforcement now are just unbelievable. But to this email, if indeed the language in there is verbatim to what this woman wrote, then uh, you know the, 
I can understand why people would take issue with that because it's in a very it's a very aggressively written email. And for her to say, don't say anything because I want to be able to arrest all of them. Um, it's I don't know if that was her attempt at showing action. That's the way it was kind of characterized to me because she is fairly new in that role, fairly new promoted into that role of senior lead officer. And for those that don't understand what a, what a slow does, that is the liaison between the department and a specific community. So that senior lead officer will go out along with other officers and they will make contact with businesses and uh, community leaders, the neighborhood council, and they will become the liaison between LAPD and the community. And it's their job to hear grievances. It's their job to take action and make things happen on behalf of the community. And this, the way it was characterized to me again, is this, uh, this officer Gutierrez was trying to basically assure them that she was taking action. So if the language is a little uh, rougher than, than uh, modern society in the city of Los Angeles would prefer, it may have been as a sop to the community who was asking, begging for relief sure. from a real problem. Uh, and, and, you know, the issue, it also brings up the idea that we're going to arrest our way out of the problem is also, a to me, that's as big a fallacy as we're going to build our way out of the problem right. because we have no place to put people. You know, and I don't want to go too off too off base here, but I'm working a story right now where the VA, um, I just got a call from a law firm that's suing the VA after the numbers came out today, uh, the homeless numbers, because there's a 12% increase in the number of homeless veterans in Los Angeles. And the reason they're upset is because there was a, an, a settlement agreed to in uh, 2015 between uh, this law firm and the VA to produce to produce housing on the massive campus over there in Westwood, right? And they were supposed to do that starting in 2015. They were supposed to make 700 beds, uh, you know, housing for 700 beds for homeless veterans, 388 acres over there, and there's not been one bed installed over there since 2015. And so now they've got to, after the numbers came out today and said this is this is enough. You know, you've seen what a 10 percent increase overall of the homeless in general. But now there's a 12% increase in veterans just based on the numbers that came out today. Well, it's, you know, every time we discuss this issue, we've been talking about it for decades now. It's accelerated. The problem has accelerated. And you get back to something that's really uh, at, the, at the heart of it. Every human being who ends up on the street got there through a different path. And everybody who gets off the street comes off in a different path. And I think the social service agencies say that it takes seven, uh, on average, 17 points of contact from social workers, from police, from somebody before they can get somebody to even get into a shelter. And then you've got to unpeel the onion of all of the layers of abuse and damage that has happened in order to rehabilitate an individual. It's extraordinarily labor intensive. And there's a lot of tools that are missing from the legal toolbox. You can't just take people off the street. And that's provided that that consenting adult wants help. That's right. And that's provided if that consenting adult will get with, you know, get in the car with you and go to a shelter and give up their alcohol, their drugs, their pet, and all of their, right. all of their belongings. Right. And, uh, if, and if not, it's a cycle, vicious cycle. Well, the beat goes on. Uh, Steve Gregory, thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate it. As always, uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the city council race where nobody votes and uh, much more right here on uh, KFI AM 640 live everywhere and on the iHeartRadio app. You're listening to John and Ken on demand from KFI AM 640.
coming up next hour, we're going to get into a couple of other stories. Of course, we'll keep our eye and get back to the affirmative action case because that's a huge one. It's an historic case. We're going to talk about uh, that homeless census that uh, Steve Gregory mentioned. We've got new numbers on that. Give you a chance to win some money. And 4th of July travel hell. I just got back uh, on uh, Tuesday night. from. Uh, I flew back from Newark, New Jersey. I'm going to talk about that trip and what that's like. Whew. Hey, also, uh, by the way, in shameless self-promotion, I've got a book coming out. It's called Frank's Shadow. I'm very proud of it. It's available for pre-order now. But on July 18th, I will be at the Barnes & Noble at the Grove, right there at the Farmer's Market from 7 to 9. Please come out. We'll do a reading and a signing and get to meet in person July 22nd at Gatsby's in Long Beach at noon. On the 26th, I'll be at Pages, a bookstore in Manhattan Beach at 6.30. August 2nd, Barnes & Noble at the Irvine Spectrum. And August 9th, at Vroman's in Pasadena with my lovely bride, Penny Pizer, with her book, Sonnets from Suburbia. Okay, so all of that promotion out of the way. What if we had an election and no one voted? We're getting pretty close to that here. Uh, not just in Southern California. I saw in New York they had a primary election uh, on Tuesday, and they estimate that 5% of the registered voters showed up to vote. 5%. You know, back in uh, the Vietnam War era, there was a phrase that went uh, about the war. What if there were, you know, felt banners that very, very, uh, you know, connected and sensitive people would put up in their apartments near their beanbag chairs and their bongs? And it would say, what if there was a war and no one fought? Well, what if there was an election and no one voted? Uh, right now, Imelda Padilla is in the poll position to win that uh, seat formerly held by Nori Martinez, who, of course, uh, resigned uh, in October after she was caught on tape behaving like an L.A. city council person, backstabbing all of her uh, colleagues, including their children, with racial overtones and sitting at the L.A. County Federation of Labor offices and carving up councilmanic districts to perpetuate her own power. Uh, so in the special election, Padilla is ahead of Alcaraz with 6,684 votes, which is 56.7% uh, to Alcaraz's uh, 5,096 votes, or 43.3%. And this represents about 13% of registered voters. Now, compared to New York's 5%, that's like, whew, wow, that's like, uh, you know, Trump versus uh, Biden in 2024, or 2020, excuse me. Uh, so... Why is the voter turnout so low? And it is really microscopic. An L.A. City Council district has a population approximately the same size as Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio has a Major League Baseball team. Uh, each L.A. City Council, there's only 15 of them, four of whom, by the way, have been arrested. Uh, there's only 15 of them, and they represent enormous population bases representing huge swaths of the city, and yet when it comes to actually voting for them, almost nobody does. Now, I know part of the reason in this particular election is we're on the eve of the 4th of July. It's getting hot. It's a special election. It's a one-off in this one district. Nobody knows who the hell these people are. And we keep having these special elections because our city councilors keep getting arrested and having to resign for some kind of uh, criminality or inappropriate behavior, and then the taxpayers are stuck picking up the tab for another election. I would so like to see uh, a law passed that says if you get 
kicked off of the city council or any elected office, any elected office, I don't care if you're a state assembly, a state senator, a United States senator, if you resign to run for a higher office because you have ambitions and you leave your post early, resulting in a special election, or you get kicked off because you've been arrested and convicted of some crime, and now we have to have another election to replace you, you have to pay for the election. You got to pick up all the costs because it's not cheap. It's really not. So people are burned out. They're electioned out. It seems like we're either constantly getting ready for an election cycle or recovering from the previous election cycle. You know, two seconds after the midterms, people start talking about the presidential election. And then as soon as that one's over, they start talking about the midterms and it never ends in the 24-hour news cycle. But it's tragic that we don't pay more attention to these local elections. And it doesn't matter whether you live in Orange County or Riverside, wherever you live. The local politicians live largely in anonymity. There's a couple of gadflies and community activists who are plugged into everything that they do. But the vast majority of people are just so busy leading their lives and going about their business uh, that the local government largely operates in a vacuum or in total darkness. And the only thing that grows in darkness are mushrooms and corruption. And that's where we're at. In the city of Los Angeles, it's a national embarrassment. It should be anyway, if anyone would pay attention to it. When Eric Garcetti's nomination to be the uh, ambassador to India was being held up by Chuck Grassley of Iowa over what he did or didn't know about this uh, creepy guy who was a bundler for him with sexual harassment allegations, no one raised the real reason his nomination should have been rejected. He was a city council president and the mayor of a city with the city councils being hauled away in airport shuttle vans. I mean, there's so many of them getting arrested. And it, and they're all Sergeant Schultz, Herb Wesson, the former city council president. I know nothing. I didn't see anything. Well, you're running the show. You mean to tell me you didn't know this was going on? Please. Jose, Jose Wizar can't fart without Herb Wesson knowing what was going on. So, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, they all pretend like, yeah. You know, there's a great Laurel and Hardy movie, a classic silent comedy called The Fight of the Century, where Stan and Ollie start a pie fight, and it spreads through an entire city. And the last scene is Stan and Ollie tiptoeing out of town, and behind them is a massive pie fight. People throwing pies up at buildings, down from buildings onto the street, throwing pies into horses' faces. And Stan and Ollie tiptoe away as if they had nothing to do with it. And that's what Garcetti and Herb Wesson and all these people do. They know what's going on here. Pay-to-play is the court of first resort in the city of Los Angeles. But no one's paying any attention to it. And part of the reason is, is that we have failed utterly to teach people how the process works. You know, civics, and I know I sound like a dinosaur even bringing up the C word, civics. But civics used to be taught in school. And I know that when I'm watching television and I get to channel 800 and there's English rules football and there's, you know, rugby tournaments and there's curling from Canada where people are out on ice with no skates and a broom and they throw a rock down the ice and they're yelling hard. I have no idea what that is. I fly right past it because I'm not going to watch a sport if I don't know how it's played. I don't know what the rules of the game are. So I can't spend any time getting invested in it. Well, guess what? That's what's happened with politics. Millions and millions and millions of people across America have no actual working knowledge of how any of this works. They just hear all the yakking. They hear guys like me blathering into microphones and screaming our heads and pulling our hair out about something. Or they, they, they occasionally see something on a social media thread, but they know that Ryan Seacrest has taken over Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> they know that Netflix and Costco are going to start cracking down 
on people sharing their uh, membership cards. And and by the way, I'm not knocking that. Those are real things in people's lives. They bring joy to your life. So, or you know, if that get you get robbed of that simple pleasure, you sh you have every right to care about it. But it shouldn't matter who's running the city that you live in. It should, it should matter who's running the schools that your kids go to. These people spend your money. And yet, 13% got to vote in this district to replace Nuri Martinez, 5% in New York. And it really has come down to a situation where, what if we had an election and no one bothers to vote? And we're getting perilously close to that. 157 right here on Talk Radio, uh, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, you've been listening to The John and Ken Show. You can always hear us live on KFI AM 640, 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. every Monday through Friday, and, of course, anytime on demand on the iHeartRadio app. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.